<laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, hopefully you didn't hear me this morning, because if you did, it's the same lecture, so you got to go somewhere else. Um, yeah, just as we're getting settled in, a little more background. As, as was mentioned, I'm an Iowa boy, originally born and raised in Iowa City, Iowa, and decided the winters didn't suck bad enough there and moved to Minnesota, which, by the way, I'm happy to report we just got six inches of snow on Monday, so winter is here. Um, I'm in private practice in a couple locations. We actually uh, have uh, three offices. When I say we, my two sons are in practice with me, which is just great. It gives me a chance to uh, uh, do what I'm really loving doing right now, and that's lecture a little bit more and, and not spend quite so many days uh, in the office each week. Um, I'm a diplomate of the American Board of Orthodontics. <clears throat> Back in the 80s, when uh, cosmetic orthodontics was really first starting to come around, um, and some of you might be old enough to remember the old Zuloff brackets, these big white mushroom-looking things. Um, I really started looking at aesthetic orthodontics and developed a couple uh, uh, tooth-colored orthodontic wires, uh, sold them through American Orthodontics, uh, made almost enough money in royalties to pay for the attorney's fees, but I can put that on my brag slide, so I've got that going for me. But uh, in all seriousness, it was an incredible adventure into the world of R&D and particularly into the world of mass production, what it takes to maybe take an idea and then have it made inexpensively. And that's what's incredible about the uh, Invisalign journey. Um, certified Invisalign back in 2000, um, still learning a lot, still making a lot of mistakes, learned a lot um, with orthodontic surgery, made a lot of mistakes there, and so we're gonna <clears throat> discover hopefully how not to make so many uh, today. Uh, was a team peer leader when it first came out, um, top 1%, and I'm on the Speakers Bureau and the faculty. Well, let's talk a little bit about just the idea of uh, orthognathic surgery and Invisalign. And somebody said, boy, that's really pushing the envelope, thinking outside of the box. Well, in point of fact, it can't be a more perfect marriage because I don't know of any other appliance that gives us better arch coordination throughout treatment. You know, by definition, if we're doing a surgery setup on the ClinCheck and we ask for uh, that surgical jump, we can see the coordination of our arches. And so we know throughout treatment, as the treatment's progressing, are we coordinated? So ever since I've started treating my surgery cases with Invisalign, we don't take progress models anymore. There's no reason to. I used to hate every time the patient would come in, I'd take that little uh, wax bite wafer or do some kind of impression to see, man, am I getting my arch width coordinated? Are my second molars okay? What's going on? We don't have to do that anymore. Uh, so it just makes my life a lot, lot easier. So it's really not pushing the Invisalign envelope. Um, <clears throat> a little uh, personal note here. This is, uh, I don't think my sons are here, those bums. Maybe they are, but <laughs> this is my older son's uh, wife, Laura who uh, is from Baltimore, Maryland originally, and uh, we're a, a skiing family, and so she learned how to ski. This is her second time ever skiing, and this uh, happens to be a relatively steep slope. I think even of you people who are non-skiers can realize that's pretty steep. I took this photograph of her. The good news is I did not lead her on this slope. Her husband did, because I can promise you she is either crying profusely or swearing behind that mask and goggles. Um, knowing Laura, she's definitely crying profusely. Like, what happened? What did I get into? 
So let's get into surgery. Let's look at a patient treated some time ago, and we're going to look at how, how we've learned here throughout the years. And, and Robert is a uh, class 3, steep plane, posterior crossbite, anterior crossbite, so quite a problem list. And certainly when we look at him, uh, it's pretty clear he had a significant relapse from whatever treatment he had uh, when he went through fixed orthodontics. He's still got a bonded retainer in place, so at least there's some straight teeth. Uh, but when we look at the uh, huge, huge um, class three discrepancy that exists, almost two teeth worth, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that uh, he's a surgical case. And in point of fact, he's so far off when we look at those numbers, he's going to be a double jaw procedure. And the treatment plan, though, if you think about it, is not that daunting, because the surgeon's going to do the heavy lifting. So all I need to do is what we learned probably our second month of residency, we need to remove the dental compensations and coordinate his arches. And so that's what Invisalign is so very good at. So let's look at a, a, an old case. Uh, we will do it a little di bit differently moving forward, as we'll see. But let's see what's going on. For those of you that have heard me before, you know I'm a crazy guy about overcorrections and overtreatment. So we do want to overtreat those lower incisors. We want to make sure we decompensate them. So we're going to procline them 12 degrees um, to make sure that they um, are going to allow for a maximum surgical correction. And then we're going to do some minor uh, overcorrections as far as the rotations and the existing in and outs. So if we look at the ClinCheck, we're getting our lower uh, labial tipping. And then the teeth have been adjusted. And we are giving the surgeon one great setup, one great platform from which to work from. And we're actually getting more sophisticated as time goes by. When we look at this particular ClinCheck, they improved the torque of that second molar. Today, I would have improved it more. And today, with ClinCheck Pro, I can grab onto it and uh, lingually torque that crown. Uh, and that's the biggest plus, I think, now, is I always, always used to hate when I was using fixed, I would think, oh, man, this kid's ready for surgery. Let's plan it over spring break here, Johnny. And I, I'd do my mounted models, and I'd put them together, and oh, man, those second molars are hanging down, and we're not ready. And so another four to six months of uh, pre-surge to try and get those uh, molars out of the way. And so today in my ClinChecks, I'm actually making sure those second molars are not an inclusion, as we'll see in a, in a new case. But even so, with this little bit of hang down, that's one advantage in Invisalign is we tend to have a little bit of a lighter posterior occlusion because we've got plastic in between the back teeth. So we have a lot fewer posterior interferences anyway. So uh, as long as we can give the surgeon, again, a good, good set of teeth fitting together ideally, he's got a solid foundation to know where he's going to need to put the parts. So we're getting Robert ready for surgery. And you can see how, how nicely uh, the teeth are unraveling. The, the decompensa uh, We're decompensating, I should say. The, lower compensations are working out nicely. As we all know, we've got to make him worse so the surgeon can make him that much better. And so now, we're going to get him set for surgery. 
he went to college um, out of state. And so our goal was we were going to see him at Thanksgiving break, as we're doing here, put on his buttons for surgery, and then at Christmas break, we were going to have the surgery done. Today, these will be metal buttons. Uh, I was trying to kind of help him out cosmetically, and I put on some ceramic brackets, uh, and the surgeon, a uh, good friend, uh, very rightfully said, hey, Bill, we just can't have ceramic brackets. Uh, you know, if I break a bracket on the operating table, he could aspirate potentially. We got to have something sturdier than that, and I totally get that. So moving forward now, as we'll see, they're all going to be metal. You look at Robert, he's not the healthiest looking guy in the world. Um, and he's not because this poor guy uh, ended up developing a fulminating case of mono. And he actually dropped out of college that second semester. Well, you can see if you look carefully at the uh, lower pictures here, his Vivera retainers now are in place. And that's a point I should stress, is our goal is the patient's totally done, totally uh, stable, been in his Vivera as a minimum of two months before we send him to the surgeon. And so Robert is in his Viveras. At this point, he's just going to wear them at bedtime. Well, at any rate, he got sick. He dropped out of school. And as sometimes happens in practices, he dropped out of my life. And, uh, you know, that happens once in a while. We just lose a patient, right? Well, Mark and I have worked together ever since we were both residents in our programs. And Mark, of course, assumed that I'd been seeing Robert. I never would have guessed that he would have decided to do surgery all on his own once he felt better. Well, because things were set up, because he had his IMF buttons in place, Mark said, you're ready for surgery. So Robert had surgery done in June, uh, eight months after I had seen him. And then he showed up two months after that just to say hi on his way back to college. <laughs> Not quite the way we want to manage our cases. And so, needless to say, I was relieved to see how nice it looked. And the reason it looked nice is because even though Robert was ill, he still wore his Viveras every night. So the case was perfectly prepared, ready for surgery. Just imagine if he would have been a fixed case, oh, well, it wouldn't have happened. I mean, bent wire, broken bracket, it would have been a potential disaster. And so we actually never did need to do any IMF because A, it fit well, and B, two months post-surgery, it's not going to do all that much good anyway. Uh, but we really did see a great profile change. And even though the surgery was delayed eight months, uh, it was spot on. And if you think about it, that makes sense because we've got the foundation set. I always like to look at the ClinCheck and my end result to see how close we've come. And this is why I've always overcorrected my cases. And the point I like to, to make is in our fixed systems, we never see full expression of our fixed systems. Studies have shown we lose up to 20% of a bracket's prescription due to arch wire slop, fight back from the transeptal fibers and the PDL. We come much closer with Invisalign, but that last aligner is never going to be what we see in the mouth. We're always going to be about two aligners shy of that. And so that's why there's some subtle um, overcorrections in the, the labial position of this lateral 
and a little bit in the rotations in the lowers. When we look at the ClinCheck, we don't see that clinically because, again, it's usually never going to fully express. And if we look at our posterior occlusion, pretty much spot on to what the ClinCheck pre uh, predicted. And again, it makes sense. He's been in his retainers for uh, uh, basically eight months before he had the surgery done. He was really a 14-month treatment, even though it took 22 months to get it all worked out. In his case, we didn't use any uh, posterior IMF. Typically, that's not normally the way we're going to work. And then his Viveras were made off of the ClinCheck. And that's another point to stress. Whenever we use Viveras, uh, we make them off of the ClinCheck, not at the end of treatment because I want my retainer to literally be a, prescrip uh, excuse me, a prescription appliance made at a precise stage of correction, usually just with one little stage of overcorrection built-in. So that's why, if you'll notice, he had 25 aligners. His Viveras were made at stage 23. And by the way, Laura likes to ski now, so life is good. That got all worked out. Does anybody know where this is, by chance? Where? Nope, no, good guess, though. Uh, and I, I didn't know the answer myself until after somebody raised their hand in the audience and said, oh, that's China Bowl. I know that tree. <laughs> so that's where it is. That's Vail, Colorado. All right, let's look, let's look at a newer case now. So let's, let's jump forward and see how we're treating our cases now. So we'll look at Abby, who is a 26-and-a-half-year-old, uh, also a class three, certainly not nearly as, as severe as Robert was. But when we take a hard look at her, um, uh, just with her, her facial shape and size, um, what are we going to do? We're not going to do a mandibular setback. Uh, even though her mandible is slightly prognathic, if, if we look at her Ceph, we would give her a double chin. And so we are going to treat her with a maxillary advancement. And again, looking at her Ceph, yeah, she's got a big mandible, but the problem is going to be treated best by treating it in the maxilla. So let's look at our first ClinCheck. And when it first came to, back to me, I go, what in the world? What is all of this IPR? I certainly didn't ask for any. And I looked at my notes, and I, I now do a very uh, succinct bullet point format when I list out what I want. And so I just listed out the overcorrections, and again, labially crown torquing. In this case, those lower incisors, 10 degrees. What did I get? Ruh roll. <laughs> didn't quite follow. I'm going, what in the world? Labial crown torque? Huh. And I wanted to make sure I didn't screw up, so I went back and I looked at my um, prescription, and sure enough, I go, orthognathic surgical setup. Let's correct everything to class one. Well, sometimes the techs don't get it. Um, I'm sure your guys are always perfect. but So let's, let's get that right. So I just had to come back. I didn't get too mad, but I just simply said, um, hold the fort here, guys. This is a surgical case. What the heck? Let's do um, perfect class one. 
And then we had to basically get all the torque and everything worked out like I had originally prescribed. And a good way to fix that is I said, let's crown torque those guys from the position they were at at stage zero. That's a good way to language to the tech what you want to see differently if they're not quite following. Give them a reference point that they can work from. So this looks, at first blush, pretty good. Um, if we take a little harder look, uh, the molars aren't bad. Um, I still just get nervous about them. Those lingual cusps are still hanging down just a little bit. This is before we could manipulate teeth with Pro. So let's tidy up those second molars a little bit. So one more time back to the drawing board is all it took. And we just asked them at this point, hey, let's give them a little encouragement. We're almost there. Uh, let's intrude those sevens, that half millimeter. I want to take them out of occlusion. Um, let's do a little tidying up of the tipping. And then let's do a little IPR, because I want to make sure I've got plenty of um, overjet to get a full, full uh, correction. So we actually see the cuspids, in fact, are just a hair class two uh, when we look at the finish, um, just to make sure that we're all going to be uh, where we, where we want to go. So I like, I like this um, setup. So we're getting her ready for surgery. And again, just as the previous case, the decompensations are working out well. Those lower incisors are coming out well. So now you look at her ceph, and you can see that nice angle of the lower incisor to the mandibular plane. That looks pretty good. And Mark did a great job with the surgery. Uh, got the parts right where we need him to be. Um, if we look at uh, what he actually did, um, the maxilla came just straight forward. And certainly, we got a good profile change for, for Abby. It would have been a disaster, I think, to have done a mandibular, um, a mandibular setback. And certainly, a good smile change, which she's just absolutely thrilled about. Comparing it to ClinCheck, pretty much spot on, even including the slight open bite of those molars. At this point, I'm just going to cut the Viveras distal to the sixes to let them passively erupt. If they get a little bit lazy in their eruption, we can go ahead and, and use some vertical buttons if we needed to. And looking at our uh, clusal view, again, with the overcorrection of the pre-existing rotations and in and outs going beyond perfect to get to perfect as far as the alignment of the teeth go. And she was just a 14-month treatment, so a little bit more realistic time-wise. 25 aligners changed every two weeks. And then for her IMF, which I apologize I don't have a slide of, we did have some vertical elastics, button to button, uh, just to close down a bit of a posterior uh, open bite. And then her retainers were made at stage 23, off of the ClinCheck, with just a little bit of overcorrection built in. So we had no refinement needed because everything was spot on. And generally, if we get the case set up right, think about it, if we get the case set up right, where we want it, the Viveras fit great, there shouldn't be a reason for a refinement because we've got everything right on the money. If things are off at the end, it might be off because the surgeon couldn't quite get the bones in the right spot, and then we're going to need some elastics maybe to complete a class three correction or a class two correction. 
but we shouldn't have to be moving teeth around at all. Okay, let's look at an old, old case. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna, and I'll answer that question, then I'm going to hold it till the end, and we'll have plenty of time for Q&A, and we're going to have mics come around so everybody can, uh, can uh, hear. But the question was, do I ask for rigid fixation? Absolutely. Um, rigid fixation is, is what we're going to do. And I'm going to show you the protocol, the splints, and all that here with this last case. Let's look at Greg, who uh, is a class two now, so a little bit different. And a couple interesting things about Greg is uh, he's got retained deciduous second molars uh, at age um, nearly 50. They're a little bit submerged, um, but not that bad. And they're in good shape, actually. You can see it's a really deep overbite. And it's, it's, it's deep because of excessive curve, really, in both arches. You can see kind of the ski jump we've got going in that lower, and you can also see how those upper incisors are hanging down pretty good. But his deciduous second uh, molars are in pretty good shape. And we look at his ceph, uh, and obviously we want to do a mandibular advancement. Uh, Greg also happens to be a general dentist. And so um, we're going to work with his schedule on when we can do his surgery and that sort of thing. And if you didn't notice the, uh, the date of the, uh, uh, his initial records, this is uh, a 10-year-old case. Treated him in 2004. And so I had a lot yet to learn about how the end result's going to be compared to the ClinCheck. So in my um, notes from, from 10 years ago, my treatment notes, I knew I wanted to IPR those um, E's a little bit, because they're obviously much bigger than what a second buy would be. Uh, we talked about attachments back then. We don't have to do that anymore, because that's all changed. So if we look at, then, the uh, ClinCheck and then the jump, part of it looks really good. Great interdigitation, great um, coordination of the arches. but where I didn't know better at the time is I didn't know well enough then to really over-treat my deep bites. So here at the end, he's got what I would call probably an ideal overbite, but certainly not an over-treated overbite. And the other thing that I didn't know then to uh, treat like I do today is the labial crown torque. The teeth were pretty upright to begin with, they didn't really change that at all. And so today, we're going to have another 10 or 12 degrees anyway of labial crown torque built into this ClinCheck to do it right. So because I didn't know that, I hit the Approve button. And so we're going to pay the price a little bit when we look at our, our post-surgery uh, work that we have to do. So here he is, um, pre-surge ready to go. Um, we did start the surgery sooner than what I just told you my protocol would be. He, had, he wanted to have his surgery done over the holidays so he wouldn't have to take so much time out of the office. And so we were about 90% finished, but he was still in his aligners. So we weren't totally, totally leveled with him. 
And so we still had a little bit more work to do. Um, here's his pre-surge pan. We, we got the lower level pretty good, remembering that ski jump, but the upper still was pretty, pretty deep. And uh, there's his Seth, I'm sorry. And so now we do the jump, the surgery, and we have a big posterior open bite. And that makes sense. We didn't level them completely. Now, a lot of people actually advocate this, you know, doing surgery first in a, in a class two case like this to help maintain some vertical height of the, of the posterior vertical height. Um, I am not a big advocate of that myself, but as it turned out in this case, that's kind of what happened. And if you'll notice, his viveras are in place at this point. We did get him in his viveras. The viveras think the occlusion is leveled. And so we're going to use the vivera basically as our guide to what level we're going to extrude those teeth to. So now, just like any post-surgery, he's wearing vertical elastics to extrude uh, his teeth to close down that open bite. And we're even pulling on those deciduous uh, molars. And so we now have just about have the uh, open bite closed down. And we finally did get it closed. Got a good leveling, I think, in his bite. Certainly a good skeletal change. And a good profile change for Greg. Good smile change. But let's critique it a little bit. So there's his clin check. And there is his finish. And again, just exactly what I know now, today, is we're always going to end up with a, a two millimeter deeper bite clinically than what the ClinCheck shows. And so I always, in my treatment um, protocols, um, set my overbite in a deep bite case to 0.5 millimeters at the incisors, knowing it's going to be deeper. So today, this um, would be a much, much shallower uh, 0.5 at the incisors fact of life. We've got plastic in between the back teeth. We're going to have a deeper bite clinically than what the ClinCheck shows. That's even true with G5. G5 is going to open up our bites much more efficiently, but we're still never going to see what the ClinCheck shows. And the other thing we're never going to see what the ClinCheck shows is the torque expression. I had his incisors uh, with inadequate torque to begin with, we're even seeing a little less torque if you look carefully at the torque of his teeth compared to the uh, ClinCheck. So again, today we're going to overtreat that. There's three main reasons why we will have, now I'm talking surgery or no surgery cases, why we can have a posterior open bite at the end of treatment. And all three of them have to do with excessive anterior guidance. And two of those reasons are right here. We set up the overbite too deep in the ClinCheck. It's even going to be deeper clinically. Therefore, we have excessive anterior guidance. We don't have enough labial crown torque. We're going to have excessive anterior guidance. Or the third one, we missed a Bolton two-size discrepancy and didn't deal with it. And what I do now, and I think it's one of the best tools in ClinCheck, is in your preferences, there's a section where if you come to a two-size discrepancy, I have that little button clicked, IPR the opposite arch. That is the best Bolton 
two size discrepancy analyzer finder I've ever seen. Because now when my ClinCheck comes back, I see IPR that I didn't ask for, and I look hard and say, well, why is it? Oh, yeah, those lower laterals are pretty big. Or, oh, yeah, those upper laterals are pretty small. And so I'm either going to allow the IPR to occur, or I may even back off a minute and say, what really should happen is we should open up spaces in the upper arch for some wider teeth. And if that's the case, believe me, I'm going to talk to the patient before I approve that ClinCheck, because that means some additional cost for the patient. But it, I am amazed at the number of small Bolton two-size discrepancies that exist that I never realized before I started looking at my ClinCheck's carefully. And again, if you don't catch that or don't address it with IPRing, IPRing the opposite arch, or now with ClinCheck Pro, if we have excessive occlusal contacts, that's going to show up. And then again, you can address it then by, by fixing those excessive occlusal contacts. If we look at his upper arch, uh, pretty much spot on to what the, uh, the ClinCheck had said as far as that goes. So he was a 24-month treatment, 30 aligners in the upper, 31 in the lower, every two to three weeks, IMF, those vertical elastics that you saw there for four months. And then we used Vivera um, retainers. This was before, or excuse me, this was before Vivera's. This was back in 2006. And so uh, we just made uh, Invisalign retainers at that time. And then we went ahead and finished with the tooth positioners. I typically used to do always with my fixed cases with surgery. All right, so let's look at where we're at today. How are we treating our cases today, our surgery cases today? So let's look at Stephanie. Who's a 34-year-old, almost 35-year-old female. A little bit of crowding. As you'll see here, a whole lot of vertical maxillary excess. And if we take a look at her face, you know she's got a long, long face height. You can see some mentalis strain. Uh, certainly see it here. See some lip strain. Uh, and as they uh, say in Iowa, when she smiles, she's showing a little bit of gooms. And so uh, we need to address that gummy smile. And the other thing that's interesting about Stephanie is she, too, is a general dentist. And she actually, at the time here, is working in a uh, large, large um, uh, commercial, if you will, dental practice, wants to get the heck out of it and start her own uh, practice in a suburb of the, the cities, kind of a, a little uh, uh, boutique practice, if you will. Certainly, she realizes, smiling like this, she's not going to sell a lot of cosmetic dentistry. And so she actually went to uh, the surgeon first uh, and said, Mark, I know I need surgery. Uh, can you go ahead and do surgery for me? And Mark said, well, I sure can, but you know what? You've got to see Bill first so he can do a good setup and I can do the best job for you. And I go, isn't that great when a surgeon finally sends you a patient for once? I mean, it's kind of nice when that happens. And if you look at her, she doesn't need much. I mean, we've got some big incisors that are a little bit proclined, um, mild, mild uh, class two. Uh, and so there's not a whole lot going on that I need to do pre-surge. So my job's real easy. If we look at her CEPH, um, you know, it's just begging to have that maxilla impacted 
auto-rotate that mandible, and we end up with a nice uh, change for her. So um, pretty simple treatment plan. We're going to detail, coordinate for the uh, maxillary impaction. So the ClinCheck is, uh, in fact, almost boring. What we asked for simply was um, a patient's going to have a maxillary impaction. Let's just move those upper ones lingual a little bit. Well, in order to do that, because they're so darn big, we're going to do a little bit of IPR on them. So if we look at that upper arch, the, uh, the ClinCheck is just simply tucking those guys back. So we're rounding out the arch. So pretty boring. The lower, same idea. That guy's a little bit labial to begin with, a little bit narrow. So we're just coordinating the arch. And if we look at the, the two arches together, then our surgical jump <laughs> looks like it's massive. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> now, obviously, everything is going up together you know, with the maxillary impaction. So the surgery uh, is, that you're seeing here, the surgical jump, is just simply getting into a socked-in class one occlusion as, as the, the parts move. And so there's a total of uh, 17 aligners, so not a very very complicated case. So the state of the art today, what we're using are buttons. Uh, and we typically will place them on the sixes, fours, threes, and ones. If you want to put them on every darn tooth, go ahead, knock yourself out. And we just actually had a case um, that went to surgery on uh, Wednesday this week. And I, uh, she was in the office on Tuesday, the day before, to put her buttons on, and this is something we delegate now. My staff will do this. There's no reason that I need to put on buttons. Uh, one point of detail we will absolutely use, and this is true with attachments as well, we'll use phosphoric etch plus LPOP. We want to do boots and suspenders whenever it comes to putting on attachments or um, particularly pre-surge buttons because I don't want anything coming off. And studies have shown that if you use both the phosphoric and the self-etching primer, you're going to have a stronger bond. Now, what we will do uh, to uh, appease the surgeon is we will put on a full-size um, bracket on the sixes. They just feel more comfortable having something a little bit bigger. The bottom line is you need to do this. You need to sit down and do a Jedi mind trick on your surgeons. You do not need braces. You do not need an arch wire. You just need buttons. Uh, and that's all they knew, do need. And this case, and the first case I showed you, I do have on a uh, PowerPoint, just a sh uh, real short one. And if you'd like, talk to your rep, and they can download it to you. Uh, you're welcome to have that if you want to take it to your surgeon to do a lunch and learn with them to get them convinced that they don't need to have bands in all the teeth. And so if we look at um, an, an example of the surgical splint then in place, uh, here are our simple old buttons. And you can see the surgeon's actually using um, Kubiachi wire, basically, to IMF. This is not Stephanie. This is another more complicated patient. It was a double jaw. Oftentimes, they, if it's a single jaw procedure, they don't even need a splint anymore. 
and so in this case, um, you can see locking the uh, parts into place in the, uh, in the maxilla. Two weeks post-surgery, she's still quite swollen. Uh, we're going to start some uh, class two corrections for her, and I just, I just love this. She's starting to get picky now, like that patient in the shootout this morning, the, the guy that didn't like his lateral. <laughs> well, Stephanie now is feeling really good about herself, and she goes, I'm going on vacation. Um, can you put on a clear button on that cusp, but I don't want to show any metal? I go, yeah, okay, you're still swollen like crazy, but all right. <laughs> Um, and so we're going we're gonna to correct her uh, midline just a hair with the, uh, the class twos on the right side. Here she is three months post-surgery, and just what a great result. Uh, Mark and I try and see our patients on the same days together. His office is about 10 minutes away from mine, and our goal is we'll usually have the surgeon see the patient first, uh, and, and then I can get a feel for what's going on, and then I'll see the, Stephanie. And so that's how it worked out for Stephanie uh, at this appointment. And so she comes into my office. I take a look and say, hey, it looks great. And so sure enough, Mark calls me up, and I go back to my office and pick up the phone. And Mark goes, hey, Bill. Hey, Mark. Bill, you hear that? Yeah. It's me patting myself on the back for doing such a good job for you. I just go, you ass. But he did. I mean, he did. it's just so spot on. It's so great. Um, he did a genio as well as um, the um, impaction. And, you know, that made just, you know, from a country bumpkin, gummy smile, to a sophisticated cosmetic dentist, you know, in just a matter of hours. Uh, I just love the nasal labial angle, too, how it, how it improved. And uh, great smile change. Case synopsis, 35-month treatment. Say what? Um, it was only an eight-month treatment. But what was interesting is we got her all set up for surgery. Life got in the way. She didn't uh, get out of her deal with the um, uh, group she was in. Uh, she had another child, or actually was pregnant with another child. So a lot of life going on, and in fact, I think she might have gotten cold feet just a little bit. So she basically said, I'm not ready for surgery just now. And I said, well, that's no problem. Just keep wearing your retainers every night. And so finally, literally 28 months later, she said, all right, getting wintertime, finally ready to do surgery. And we checked, made sure the viveras were all fitting great, which they were, so we knew the case was stable. So we didn't bother to take new um, models. We just simply put on the buttons, and she was good to go. And we only ended up needing the post-surgery elastics for, for three weeks. She was 15 aligners, changed every two weeks, because clearly there wasn't a lot of tooth movement to do in this case. And again, Vivera's made at stage 13. So always I'm going to make them off of the ClinCheck. And surgeons love them. This was uh, uh, Abby, that uh, class 3 uh, patient. and. Thank you for the buttons and the molar brackets. That's all the hardware we needed. She didn't need elastics, and she did not need uh, a splint even. She didn't have a surgical splint because he was able to get such good coordination. Different patient. Uh, this was a class two correction, uh, mandibular advancement. And um, again, family's thrilled. Uh, her Invisalign post-surgery fine tuning looks as if it's coming along nicely. Yeah. That's, you know, we had her wear some rubber bands a little bit ourselves, and that was all, all we needed to do. So none of these cases needed refinements. 
Uh, even the one where we still had to do a lot of scrambling at the end, um, it was just to move them into the aligners. Um, certainly, we could have done a refinement at the end and slowly pulled up those teeth uh, in um, Greg. Again, knowing what I know now, I would have set it up a little bit differently with more torque and less overbite. So, what are we doing today then as our protocols? And if you haven't picked up a note packet, they are at the back. Um, the ClinCheck should have an ideal occlusion, again, uh, something we learned our second month of residency. We want to remove the dental compensations, so we now are going to overcorrect deep bites for advancement cases. We certainly want to overcorrect a deficient posterior width, and this is one point that if you've got a maxilla that really needs a lot of expansion, um, you, do, you can't do a two-piece maxilla yet. Um, the technology is not there with the ClinCheck to explode the maxilla and do that. It's just not very practical. So we're going to do, in some of our cases where we do have some skeletal expansion that we need to do prior to surgery, um, if we can't use just a Hyrex expander, then we'll have a, a surgical assist done with the Hyrex. We'll get our expansion, get it overexpanded, pop off the Hyrax, hold it with a uh, Essex retainer while we're doing our ClinCheck. So those cases will be, if you will, a, a two-phase treatment, doing the expansion first, then the um, uh, uh, Invisalign after that. We'll put our brackets and hooks on one week or one day, whatever the scheduling works out prior to surgery. The patient is wearing their Viveras bedtime to 12 hours a day, right up until the day of surgery. And um, again, our goal is to have a minimum of two months in the Viveras. And the reason that's important is there is, you've heard the term aligner lag. You know, there's, there's teeth that don't track, there's also teeth that lag. And by that I mean the aligners are fitting fine. You know, they're going in all the way, but the torque correction particularly or the overbite correction particularly, hasn't completely worked out yet. The aligners are just flexing. And you look at your ClinCheck, and the ClinCheck's nicely overtreated, nicely overcorrected. So in those cases, I'm comfortable in going into their Viveras, assuming I make it off of the uh, ClinCheck, because the Vivera is six times stiffer than the SmartTrack material. So I've got that extra oomph, if you will, to get that lag to catch up. So I want to make sure if I have any torque or overbite lag that that all works out before we send them to the surgeon. So that's why I like to spend a couple months in their Viveras ideally before surgery. The uh, splint is only on the operating table if they need it. There's just no reason to have the splint in longer. Because even if the surgeon says, I want you on full-time IMF elastics the day after surgery uh, or the day of surgery, Fine, they'll wear that right with their uh, Viveras. They don't need the splint in place. The patient's going to be seen one week post-op. Then we'll determine, uh, I'll determine if I want to change up the rubber bands a little bit, more class two correction, more class three correction, whatever the case may be. We'll take off the brackets we don't need, and then we'll replace and trim with fresh Viveras as, as needed. And now we get all the Viveras from day one, so that solves having to order them in advance. Um, 
And so it just really saves so much work on my end. Again, the whole question about are the arches coordinated, are those second molars the way we want them to be. Our protocol for our retainers, um, uh, typically when we're finished with the active treatment, is full-time wear for two weeks and then 12 hours a day for six months, bedtime wear for six more months after that. Uh, and then usually um, we can cut them down to every other night after that first year. Uh, we give two sets of retainers to our patients as part of our treatment fee, assuming it's a non-surgical uh, case. If it's a surgical case, we include all the Viveras. But typically, the last two sets, we sell to the patient. We believe in long-term retention in our office, and we tell the patient, we'd like you to have some more retainers made, and believe it or not, we can get them made really inexpensively. We can get them made for $70 a retainer. You just need to buy two upper and two lower. So if they do that, $280, we've covered that lab bill for the Viveras. So we get the Viveras paid for totally um, by having that patient buy those last two sets of retainers. Um, the overcorrections, and this is not, um, I just added this, this is not in, in the note packet, but for again, for those of you who heard me, or by all means go to the education tab and pull up one of my lectures, this is what I want to do with my overcorrections now. And overbite is always going to be overtreated by two millimeters, assuming we start with a deep bite. And torque, 15 degrees. So this way I'm going to get what I want in that ClinCheck, hopefully without having to do uh, refinement. So let's put this into action, you guys. Um, 20 years from now, you're going to be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away, try that surgery case. Buy a scanner. You know, we got to push that envelope, right? Thank you, guys. You've been really good. Thank you. <laughs>